everybody. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Lease and Learned. Really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm very excited about today's episode. Uh, this guy, you've probably seen his videos on Facebook or on YouTube. He plays uh, some characters. He's doing these comedy videos. He's got millions of views now. I've been a big fan of his for a long time. I got to meet him uh, when I was on the road in the U.S. briefly in uh, early 2020 before the world went all to shit. And uh, got to meet him, got to spend some time with him, and uh, became an even bigger fan. And as soon as we started this podcast, I knew we had to have him on. It's taken a little bit of time, but finally we were able to sit down. And I am very excited for you to check out Mr. Brent Terhoon. Brent Terhoon. Brent, Ter am I saying that right? Terhune? Yes, sir. Yeah, people in my my own family say it differently, so I've settled on Terhune. That's the correct Terhune. way in my book. Okay, Brent Terhune. <laughs> Buddy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, man. Good to talk to you. It's it's weird where you run into people on the road and then you, you air quotes, know them, but yeah, you know, I haven't seen you uh, for over a year. Right, which, uh, <clears throat> so... We met last year in uh, Bloomington, uh, Bloomington, Indiana, right? Yep, Bloomington, and, Indiana. Uh, at a, a comedy club, uh, the Comedy Attic, mm -hmm. and got to, first of all, witness one of my favorite uh, album recordings I've seen done and, and uh, certainly made a fan out of me for a guy named Stuart Huff, who is yeah. an amazing comedian, I think based out of uh, Kentucky. Uh, yeah, well, I think he lives in Georgia now, but I think he's originally from Kentucky. Yeah, uh, it, he was amazing to watch, and I was so thankful. And Ross Duncliffe from On Tour Records uh, uh, was – I was grateful that he got us the tickets, and it was awesome. And then, of course, after we went to IHOP mm -hmm. uh, and had a <laughs> had a uh, meal at uh, whatever time that was after uh, the comedy show, and uh, which I think is – probably the most midwestern experience i got to have while visiting uh the u.s was it an ihop or a denny's because i because i didn't you say you've never had a grand slam maybe i don't remember if it was ihop or denny's no, it wouldn't no. surprise me well um, first of all that was not me i have had i have had more many grand, grand slams. slams okay yeah um and it was definitely ihop because uh, I remember because I got their sampler and I think I might've said, I never had this one, but I had the Denny's one and I wanted to compare them and it was okay. terrible. I must say it was absolutely <laughs> not good at all. It's IHOP's never one of those things where I go to during the day. It's like, Oh, I know they're open at right. 11 PM. And that's one of my favorite things in comedy is to, you know, do the shows, but then also the hangout afterwards sometimes is way more fun than the actual show. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that was so awesome just to, uh, you know, be, be there while Stuart like fucked around with the waiter. But do you remember how long it took for, it was like half the table got their meals and the other half <laughs> did not get their meals for yeah. like a long time. I mean, we were there for hours. It was, yeah. And it was one of those where you, I think it was maybe the waiter's uh, first night or first few nights. And like one of those where I, I'm not mad either way. Cause I'm hanging out with people, but it was also, you got to feel for the guy. Cause if I was that yeah. guy, I'd be like, Oh my God, this, the food's not ready. You yeah. know, I would just feel terrible, but he was, yeah, he was fine. Yeah, dude. It was such a hilarious table. Cause there's 
myself and Tig, who are visiting from Canada, heading down to California. Yourself, who is uh, you don't live in Bloomington, right? I'm fr- I'm from Indianapolis, which is about an hour north. Yeah, so you're you're down there uh, visiting uh, Ross, and and uh, I'm. Did you know Stuart before that night? Yeah, I've known Stuart for such a long time. And the, the first time I ever saw Stuart, him and I are really good friends now. But before I told I've told him, I was like, I didn't like you and I didn't like your jokes for some reason. <laughs> and it was just probably me being a shitty, uh, you know, person being an open mic or being like, I'm as funny as this guy. Of course, I'm not. But in the moment, you're like, why am I not on stage? But yeah, he's a good friend of mine now. But at first when I saw him, I was like, I got to be honest, I didn't like you. And I, there's no reason why I just, you know, so it was Stuart and then Ross from on records and his wife. Yeah. Um, I don't know who else a bunch of it could have been the last supper at IHOP pretty much. Dude, the other people at that table were a father and son duo who drove some crazy amount of time, like, like t- 12 to 16 hours to see the show. We're eating IHOP with all of us then driving home that yeah and that that Stuart is he's a comic that gets those people because i you know if you don't know Stuart and you're listening to the show he's my favorite comedian he's i would say one of the best comics working today and the thing is you've never heard who he is because for whatever reason but he's on itunes and spotify go listen to him but Stuart gets a lot of those people they're you know he's not coming to milwaukee but they want to see a Stuart huff show so they will drive from milwaukee from milwaukee to bloomington indiana to see the show yeah it was i was i've never had people uh, people are barely willing to to walk across the street from their (laughs) own house to a venue i am performing at so for me to be there and be and and having witnessed his show, I completely understood because you're right. He was unbelievable. I'm so glad I got to listen to him live. And when we left and started, uh, uh, when we left there and started our journey to California, we listened to everything he had on iTunes because mm-hmm. it was like we have to listen to more of this guy. He's that he was that fucking good. And so to you know to have these two guys that are like sitting there for hours listening, you know, being able to take in a meal with this guy, they just drove so far to see. And then we're driving home (laughs) immediately after everybody there at some point was like, you guys sure you don't want to stay like get a hotel. I think Stuart might've even offered to like put him up and both of them were like, no, he's doing first shift and he's, he's doing second shift. And they were just like, Coffee and pancakes, I think, is was their order. But one of them got fucked up because everybody's everything, everything <laughs> got fucked up by this by this waiter who had a, a tough night. But anyway, it was one of those memorable nights in comedy where it was just for me uh, going from not knowing Stuart Huff to being a massive fan and then being able to be there around a table mm-hmm. full of comedians. And these two super fans of comedy was really fun, really fun. And it was, yeah, it was weird because I think you sat across from me and we had never met before, but comedy is one of those things. And I'm sure it's like a lot like that with a lot of professions where there's a, a language written into comedy. So you and I, we already have an understanding and a common you know, thing we can talk about without act. And I think then we bonded on wrestling after that, too. But it was yeah. one of those things where it's like we had never met before. But comedy is that one thing that brings you together. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And, and like, I've, I'm a huge fan of the, 
the videos mm-hmm. that you that you put out the uh, <clears throat> the like redneck character uh, yeah. guy videos. And, you know, the, those are uh, does he have a name? No, that's the people always ask me, like, what is that character's name? And it's like, at first, I'd never thought it would be anything anyway. So I never gave the character name. And if you know, if you're listening to this, but have never seen what what I people would know me for is it's any kind of guy that would rant in a truck about anything, whether it be millennials and participation trophies or whatever. It's that it's that character who's always ranting about something. So it's a very uh, MAGA character, which that's kind of gone away since, you know, Trump lost the election. But that guy is not going to go away as far as ranting about whatever's going on in the country. So that's the a point of reference for people. If you've never seen what I do. Is it um, based on a specific person, you know, or or did you just see enough of those types of videos and and start to do like a, like a character like that? Yeah, the first one I did was based on seeing people burn their NFL tickets after Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee. And then a year later, he got a contract with Nike, I think not even being in the NFL. So those are that that contract with Nike one was my first big video that really took off. Um, But then I I would see all these people on Facebook because it's so easy to sit in your truck uh, or whatever you drive and record a video. Everybody's got a camera on their phone and, you know, on their phone. So I have my list of people that I like to follow for inspiration uh, that right. I will watch from time to time. That's, <laughs> that's awesome, man. What, what was the, how long had you been um, creating videos or making videos before you had one that kind of really took off? Uh, with with views and shares and and uh, sort of going viral probably you know a year or or two before that because you know I I, I'm I still live in Indianapolis and at the time I didn't have an agent or a manager or nobody nobody like nobody was going to do anything unless it was me so and with the internet it's a such a tool that you can use to reach an audience about a very specific subject because you can uh, go on YouTube or type in any kind of podcast app. There's probably a, a podcast that is about the topic that you like. There might not be 10 people in your town that like that thing, but now there's a community of people that like the thing that you like. Uh, so that's where the beauty of the internet came in. And I just, you know, I was like, I got to learn a different skill because if I'm just going to stay in Indiana and Indianapolis and work the road, there's got to be a reason for people to come see my show because, you know, you, you, you know, as well as I do, you can do shows where it's at the, the sign out front says comedy night. Right. It doesn't say it's, it's like, if, but if they put Jeff Leeson or Brent or Hune on it, they, they'd be like, we don't know what that is, but they know comedy night. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I wanted to be the, the guy that had people show up to my show on purpose, not just cause it was Saturday night, you know? Uh, so that was my goal with the videos is to try and reach some other people. And it's so, you know, it's, it's hard to get started. Cause I had people be like, how do you, how do you do videos? I'm like, you just got to do it. And there's always that, that stage fright of being on camera, but it's like, nobody's seeing that. So you can do a thousand takes. It doesn't matter. Just record it and, and upload it. You know, what was uh what was a type of video you were doing before that character? What was some what was the type of videos you were doing prior to that? I would do I specifically I think my first one was uh called uh, Every Bad Uber Driver. 
And it was just, you know, me uh, being like the cops would pull me over and I'd have a bag of uh, green leaves. I don't even know what I used. But, it, you know, of course, that, of course, that's pot. But the driver's like, oh, hide this for me type stuff. Or I did thoughts at Walmart and it was just me walking around being like, what is mountain lightning? I don't know if you're aware, but there's Mountain Dew, of course. But then the generic Walmart brand is Mar- uh, Mountain Lightning or Dr. Thunder is the Dr. Pepper <laughs> version. So you go, you know, you go, you go around and just make jokes in, in a Walmart. And those were the kind of videos I was doing. But then I just did that, the character one. And I probably did my first couple of years, probably eight or 10 of those videos. But then stuff ramped up politically and I'm not even like a politics guy. I'd rather watch people that follow politics. Cause that's what that character is, is not necessarily satirizing political figures, but it's those people that like the political figures. But uh, so that kind of took off and, you know, for, for months, th- there could be a topic every day that I could talk about, but now thankfully things have cooled down and it's like maybe once a week, there's a big story that you can kind of make a video about. In the um, in the early going, or maybe even now, is it uh, all done by you? Is the is it all filming and editing and and the whole process you, or do you have a team? Just me, and that was the other thing. Was a lot of times I'd be on the road, so it was like, oh, I'm in the middle of uh, Nebraska, and I just saw a story, you know that that uh, you know broke, and I, I'm at a truck stop. How do I? how do I make this? So the car is perfect for a rant thing. Cause anywhere I am, the car is too, you know? Um, but I, it was like one of those things I would, you know, with podcasting, you, you, you teach yourself how to edit or you teach yourself how to do video because I'd rather just do it myself. Cause I know it's going to get done. Cause I've worked with a, with a team too. And it's also like, then you got to wait on the guy to edit something and maybe he's got to work till tomorrow. And it's like, we should just get this out now. And a lot, especially with those videos I was doing, it's like the topic is hot right now. And tomorrow there's already going to be something new that happens. So, and in some of the videos, it's you hold the, the camera up and you talk for a minute and a half and that there's no editing. You just kind of upload it anyway, you know. Right. <laughs> um, now, t- taking it back, like before, uh, before you start doing the videos, um, the, are, you mentioned living in, in Indianapolis. Are you, is that where you're from as well? Yeah, I'm from Indy. And uh, what were you like in, uh, in school? Like, were you like, were you a class clown type of guy? I was never the class clown, but I was always funny. But I like I kind of I was never like I never got detentions, really. Uh, I would be, I did talent shows in high school. That was my first time doing stand up at 16 was in my high school performing. And then I would host oh, battle wow. of the bands. Um, I How was making, at I 16. got, uh, fine. You know, it was like one of the, every quarter in school, there was a thing called coffee house. So people do acoustic guitar and poetry. And I went up and did stand up. So, the, you know, I've been doing stand-up, I think, for 15 years, but for the for like the first two, I had performed six times or whatever. But um it I think it went well. And then eventually uh, my senior year, I got second place in the talent show behind an uh Alto Sax. Still bitter over that. No, uh <laughs> yeah. But it was one of those where I was uh and then when I turned 18 or even even I think I was 16 or 17 going to the local comedy club. And I've always looked older than I am and nobody, nobody asked. And I didn't, I wasn't being like, let me get a, 
you know, a Jack and Coke. I never tried that. I just wanted to go perform. Nobody said anything and I didn't say anything. So I was performing at a club at 17. Um, and yeah, that was just my early years in standup was just uh, immersing myself in comedy. I'm sure I was unbearable to be around because whatever somebody would talk about, I'd be like, let me talk about comedy uh, to you, which I'm sure got old fast. <laughs> I um, I started at 14. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Doing uh, <clears throat> so my mom wouldn't let me go to like a comedy club. She was like, I, something happened. She went to a comedy club and like saw somebody get heckled or something. And mm -hmm. so she was really against it against that me doing that. Cause I was like, I think the only way to do this from what I have researched is you have to do three or five minutes at an amateur night. That's the only thing I can tell. Mm -hmm. So she's like, definitely not doing that, but she goes, but let's do our own show in front of uh, your, our friends, family. I played hockey. So like the hockey team and stuff, let's, uh, you know, sell our own tickets and we'll sell pop and chips and, you know, well, let's put on our own thing. And uh, that way you can try it, see if you like it. And then, you know, things go well, we, we can work up to the clubs when you get older, you know, that's awesome. Which, How, what was the venue? It was, it was in the auditorium of her place where she worked her work. Oh, nice. Yeah. They had this, a uh, big open room and, and a kitchen in it where you, the, the things slide slid up. So you had like a, it was like a snack bar. Look, yeah, like yeah. you know, so it was a good, you know, it was a good starting place. We, I don't know what we had, maybe 30, 40 tickets sold mm -hmm. something like that. And everybody that I knew basically, and I teamed up with some guys in a band that I went to high school with and they opened. And then I came out and did like, what I thought was an hour. Cause I only knew comedy specials really, mm -hmm. uh, which ended up being like 28 minutes. Um, That's still a lot of time for 28 minutes. I remember when I first started hosting, like you're doing 10 and I'm like, I have to do all the jokes that I have. And some of them I don't want to do, but I got to do 10. So you used to, you started out 28 minutes. That's crazy. Everything I ever thought of. Cause I, it was just something I, I loved comedy and I watched it every day and it was so I just wrote down thoughts and, you know, stuff. So a lot of it was really bad and, and uh, mm -hmm. made kind of no sense and really had no punchline or, you know, some of it was stuff I heard that I, I didn't know the rules of writing. And I was just yeah. like, that sounded funny. I think <laughs> I could tell that in a way that applies to me or, mm -hmm. you know, I think whatever. And uh, so there's a little bit of that and, yeah, but uh, the reason I mentioned this is because you talked about doing a show at school. And mm -hmm. when I was like 15, I did a talent show at school and it was the first time I really, really bombed and ate <laughs> shit hard. Uh, and it and was, then you had to see those people for the next two or three years. Yeah, yeah, that was like grade 10. So the rest of that year, all of 11 and 12. Yeah, it was not, but they were, the thing I really liked that helped was they were really impressed that I had the balls to get up and try that instead of being like, you fucking suck or you're, a, you know, mm -hmm. laughing at me for failing. It was more like anybody I talked to. I'm sure there was chatter like away from me about how brutal it was and, and yeah. that this is going to be like a phase I go through or some shit. But, um, 
but you know, they, it was really like nice of them to say, dude, that, that was, that was tough. That was really rough. Like they knew mm-hmm. how rough it was. And, but we're like, yeah, that took a lot of, you know, guts to get up there and actually do that. And I got mostly people saying like, I would never have done that. I wouldn't have done mm-hmm. that. Right. Dude, um, just speaking in general, whether like I'm more nervous when I'm speaking in front of nine people of a group of friends that I know and they love me and I love that, but it's, but that instead of an audience of 200 people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I was way like, were you, um, what, what were you like with girls in, in high school? Like I, I could do a show, but if I had to talk to a girl, I was, I was completely useless. Yeah. Uh, probably that till about senior year It's so weird because I, I did comedy and then I got like, I wasn't by any means, good or great but i i in myself i had seen an improvement and me doing comedy going to open mic every tuesday that helped that boosted my confidence and for the rest of my life and the rest of my life i don't know what what it is about i was like i found something i was quote good at so i could have more confidence in everything else i always felt like um i it was there was something weird with it with me where i couldn't I, I just couldn't, I had no, uh, I had no way to like flirt. I just didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I always felt like uh, Superman that I can't, t- but I can't tell you about it <laughs> because yeah. you can't come to the club. You're too young, you know? Mm-hmm. So I always felt like in my, my mind, I'm trying to talk to a girl and I like her, but she clearly has no idea. I like her and has no interest. Cause I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm like, but if you saw that on stage, I can make a room full of people laugh. You would think I was, <laughs> I was awesome. Yeah. You would yeah. think, you know, and it was so, uh, oh man, it was so, uh, uh, frustrating at the time. Cause you're a teenager, but looking back on it, it was, it's, it's really quite humorous. Yeah. It's that the, the normal awkwardness, but it, you just were awkward in a unique way. And that I was that way too, where I was like, no, my superpower, you just gotta be in this club where it's dark and there are people Then I can, I can show you I'm, <laughs> I'm good at something, but it's like, I gotta, you gotta get there first. I can't just be funny right here. Cause I'm too nervous. Yeah. Oh man. Do you remember when you were a kid, did you watch, um, stand up uh, on uh, TV at first I didn't my brother would rent the and I think it was at the time of VHS tapes and he would rent like Chris Rock like bigger and blacker and I think it was bring the pain or what those couple specials and I would he would rent them and I didn't know what they were and I would watch a little bit of it and I'm like this guy's just talking like there's it's boring because <laughs> I just didn't understand what stand-up was and then eventually I would you know I got the 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 gist of it and i would watch Chappelle was a big one for me and i remember eighth grade uh, it was the Chappelle show so every wednesday night you watch Chappelle show so thursday till the next wednesday you were quoting all those sketches right uh and then uh hedberg was another one for me who i just happened to see his comedy central special and i was like man this guy's so funny and he's not he's not looking at the camera. He's not looking at the audience. He's looking at the floor like you could still tell he's nervous, but he's just so funny. Yeah, he was great, man. Mitch, man. Yeah. Mitch Hedberg was uh, he was awesome. Do you do you remember um, the first comedian you ever saw live? Yeah, it was uh, the headliner, at least, was Kyle Cease. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah. He's so, like a motivational speaker now, I think. I know. I was at the library and he had like written a book. I was like, oh, like he's and not not that he was like a dirtbag before, but he had like cleaned up and looked professional for the book cover, at least. Right. And he was really funny. And then he had like this small part in this movie called uh, uh, Not Another Teen Movie. If you remember that one, his character was the guy that always started the slow clap. And then people yes. were like, dude, it's not the time to clap, but yeah. I just remember him from that movie. So that was the one of the first ones was Kyle Cease. And then another one that really hit me just seeing at the local club here in Indianapolis was a guy named uh, Kevin Downey Jr. Was another one. Um, and it, was this when you had started uh, doing stand up or were you just a fan going to a live show at that point? I had already, yeah, I'd already been doing stand up just in school and stuff. And again, nobody ever asked to see IDs and I didn't say anything. So I would go to these shows and at the end of the show, they would hit, give you a thing, you know, at the time it was, uh, the shows were running from Wednesday to Sunday and you could get in free Wednesday or Sunday if you brought this pass back. So eventually they would just be like, Oh, that kid's here. <laughs> just let them in. And they knew what I, what I would drink was, was just a Coke Anyway, so they eventually I would show up. They'd be like, hey, you can go over there. Here's your drink. Um, and But I remember the first time being in a club and I wasn't even going on. I was just seeing shows and I got so nervous walking in to the club because I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I knew this is where I had to be. But I just got nervous because th that's where it was going to happen was the show eventually, you know. Do you remember the uh, the first time you were on stage in it and just like crushed? Um, I remember the second time I performed at a comedy club, I did well. And again, you you probably would look back and be like, that's not good. It wasn't good. But I just remember doing well. Um, I can tell you that one of the first times I bombed, I opened up for the the improv uh, troop at my high school and they just called it whose line is it anyway because that was the most accessible thing because people would be like what's improv but if you just said whose line <laughs> right you, you just you know so i went up and opened for them and I, of course i never had i never had a place to work out material so it was all new and i just remember bombing and it going so bad that i didn't even hang out afterwards i just left because i was like i don't want to see these people after this <laughs> Yeah, I've had uh, I've had quite a few of those nights where it's like I got to get the I got to get out of here. I, I had a few nights where because um, I was so young and and my I grew up in London, Ontario, that only had one comedy club and they did amateur night very sporadically. It wasn't weekly or monthly. It was like every few months they'd be like, mm -hmm. anybody, anybody want to mm -hmm. try this? And so my mom used to drive me to like Toronto and a couple hours away and uh and there were times I really ate shit and, and had to get in a car with my mother mm -hmm. and, you know, just, I'm sure, I don't know what she was thinking. I'm sure it was like, my God, how you're obviously never doing this again. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? But she never tried to talk me out of it, which was nice. She talked me through it and, you know, tried to give from an audience perspective, like, mm -hmm. here's what I think you did <laughs> wrong, which in most cases was everything. Well, yeah, it's so weird. We're like, you're first starting out and like it, it, you know, now you can go up and your thing that you're trying to focus on is your new joke. But when you're first starting out, it's like, I got to learn even how to stand properly to take the mic out of the stand to ju just not be nervous forever. I didn't even look at the people. 
I would like look over them. So it, you know, right. if I was looking at this camera, just be like, I'd be looking right over it. Um, so there's so much that comes from being on stage so many times that you just become comfortable with it. And then you can kind of work on things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, how, how long have you done stand up like now to date from the time you really started? I think, you know, 15 years, you know, I think that, yeah, about that. Yeah. So like, and I think for anybody who's never done stand up, you know, 15 years obviously sounds like a long time. If you were at a job 15 years, you would, you would have several promotions and probably mm -hmm. in some sort of management or even, you know, higher than that. But, with stand up, you know, 15 years, uh, especially in the beginning, like you and I, you were saying in the beginning, you're, you know, your first couple of years is maybe five to six shows total, you know, mm -hmm. in the whole time. So, you know, how, how long into it did you start to feel comfortable and, and feel like, you know, you, you had your own uh, point of view and your own voice on stage? Probably, you know, five years ago and maybe, you know, uh, four years ago where I could go up and it's that fine line. And you know, as well as I do being on stage where you have to care, but you can't show that you care because right. if you start sweating, the audience knows there's blood in the water, right. it's, they know you're weak. And that's, you know, it's not that you're weak, but it's also like you, you have to go up and, and care, but not care. And you have to realize that this show that you're doing right now, currently there's going to be another one and there, there will be another one. So you can't put, everything on the line during that show because you will break yourself if 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 it doesn't go well then you're devastated but if yeah. it doesn't yet if it doesn't go well you have to be like i'll just get them next time and you always want it to go well but sometimes it just doesn't and sometimes it's out of your hands absolutely <clears throat> when i was uh when i was 16 i entered this competition funniest person in london mm -hmm. and uh it was really, you know, it was like nine comedians all from London, all, you know, nobody really doing it. It was just a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. that, but one guy who was like, he was a professional motivational speaker and had done some amateur comedy. And then there's me who for two years, every time, you know, I can get on somewhere, my mom drove me to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I go out there, dude. I had the set of the night. I mean, it was very clear. I was this young, I was the youngest kid, lots of sympathy, brought tons of people that I knew. Right. Mm -hmm. And they gave it to the guy who did the motivational speaking. And it, I had put everything on it and thought it was mm -hmm. like my shot. I was fucking done at the end. I was like, well, <laughs> that's 16. It. Yeah, I'm done. 16. I've had Dude, plenty of those yeah. shows now where you just are like, yeah. And you can't believe that guy won. And then you find out for most contests, they don't matter anyways. No. It was just a gimmick to get people in the door. Yeah. So it's that's that's the thing is you put so much on that one set and it just breaks you. But then eventually yeah. you come back, hopefully, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it took me. Uh, I don't remember. I've quit several times. I've, I've had several of those moments where it's just like, no, fuck it. I quit, you know. Yeah. And then the next day I'm I'm emailing the people I normally email and back <laughs> to work, you know, because what what else am I going to do? It is that one thing where, you know, b before, you know, the pandemic, I haven't been on stage that, that much in the past year. But before every couple of weeks I get in my head, I'm like, man, what am I doing? Yeah. Like, I don't I guess that's a healthy thing to question what you're doing. I think in the performing arts, at least yeah. if you're, I don't know if a painter's like, man, what am I doing? I should just go get a real job or whatever. But I, I, at least you're not like I'm the best ever. Cause that's dangerous too. 
Oh, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> that's brutal. Oh, you know, okay. So it's tough in the moment, but I really enjoy watching it is have you ever seen somebody eat shit hard, but they have zero clue. And when they get off, they thought it went well. Yeah. I, I ran open mic for eight years. Um, so I would see that a lot and you would see the same people that had probably been doing it longer than I have, um, do stand up and they come to the show and they never have written a single joke since their first two years in comedy. And for I've seen people get less funny. You'd think like that the more <laughs> you do it, you just pick up some skills, but I've just seen people somehow get less funnier over time. It's really bizarre, but it's, you know, some people you, you come to realize that that maybe that five minutes that guy does every month, that's kind of his thing. And he doesn't really want to go past that. And you just, you have to come to terms with yourself that, Oh, he doesn't want the same thing out of this that I want. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is fine. I mean, as long as those, those, uh, which I sometimes really enjoy those type of guys. I just think their, their approach, you know, sometimes is hilarious because they really don't give a shit. It's like, I just want to get away from my wife and children for, <laughs> And have some chicken wings and also get up and talk about my dick for a few moments. If you, yeah. if you'll indulge me, you know, I don't want to talk about insurance all day or whatever they do, you know? So yeah. <laughs> no, I get that for sure. This episode of Lease and Learn is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in in the world i was gonna say in the country but no in the world they have some of the greatest food i have ever had every single time i eat there i think to myself it will never get better than what i have just eaten and the next time i go back they top it once again it's that good if you live in the sarnia area make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner or hell book your reservation for both right now do it tonight what are you gonna cook for dinner tonight probably something awful don't do that head on over to the big fish steak and lounge if you don't live in sarnia i suggest you make a trip down just for the food or if you're going to be in the area stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have i want to talk to you about the road because mm -hmm. You, uh, obviously being based out of Indianapolis, you mentioned being a road guy, a road mm -hmm. comic. And, and for anybody, again, who's not doing stand up, there's kind of, I mean, there's several types of comedians, but for, for easy sake, let's break it down. There's the people that are in the major cities that are doing like club shows for, you know, short sets and they're kind of working on uh, shorter sets. And then every once in a while they might get a tour or something like that. Obviously if they're big, they're, it's a way different. We're not even talking about those people. Mm -hmm. We're talking about at a at the at a different level. So, and then the other side of that is people like myself, yourself, uh, that are road warriors that go to wherever someone will pay them to come and tell jokes. Doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily have to be a comedy club. Doesn't even necessarily have to be a full time venue either. Yeah, just somewhere where somebody is offering you money to go. Uh, what was your first introduction to the road where it was like, Whoa, what the, what is this? Well, I can tell you my first quote road gig. And that was, that was an hour North of where I lived. And 
I, I had my brother came with me because I had just was like, you know, been driving for two years and never even driven on the interstate, really. So it was like, I don't like all I would have had to done is get on two exits or whatever and get on the highway for a little bit. But I, you know, I was like, this is my first road show. And I don't know how to get to this place. This was like MapQuest. So it wasn't like type yeah. it in on your phone or whatever. And my first road gig, I did five minutes and probably ate shit. But it was at a Viking themed bar where like they had like a yes. dragon that would come in and out of the walls. Uh, and it's a really cool <laughs> bar. Uh, I've been there back there since then. But that was my first like road thing was doing five minutes and at this Viking bar. But one of my, you know, some of my first road things i remember i finished school in 2012 and it was one of those where i was getting enough work locally at a club you know and i that was the thing is i just didn't have any bills so i was like okay that week at the club pays for my rent so then if i could find some other stuff then i have enough money so i could have i went to school for radio and stuff like that so i was like i could try and get a real job or i could do stand up and so far it's worked out and that's with like moving i'm lived with my mom for a long time but eventually i was doing 45 and 47 weeks a year so there was no point in me even having a place to come back to for two days and pay rent on nothing that i wanted that i wasn't there but i just love uh there's something about driving i don't have you driven through like the upper peninsula of michigan for oh, you, yeah. it would be, you know, lower, but yeah. just those where it's like, it's that Bob Seger song, turn the page where you walk into that place and everybody turns around and they know that you're not from there either because they just know everybody or you're, you're, you're uh, eight and a half by 11 computer paper uh, headshot is on the wall. And you're like, they're, oh. they're, then they're like, you better be funny. I'm like, oh, I guess. I guess because if I'm if I'm not, then I'll just be a true crime podcast <laughs> su subject or whatever, you know, like I love but I love yeah. those kinds of gigs. I love, oh, you know, too. clubs when they where they treat you well. But I also just love and I say shithole lovingly <laughs> where yeah. it's like just those no name towns yeah. that you go to and do a show too. Um, as you were telling that story, I can I like I'm having images of probably the place it was, but I've just seen so many of them, but I remember being up in the upper uh, Michigan peninsula, but I, you, you mentioned the, the headshots, which for, for, I mean, the, the kids these days, they yeah. will never understand. But when you got books somewhere, you had to mail as in go to a place and, and put it in a mailbox for someone mm -hmm. else to take a physical headshot that at one time uh, had to be black and white for some mm -hmm. odd reason. And then over time, they're like, okay, you can take a color one, but you had to spend the money to get them done and then printed and then get your, your headshot sent so that they could promote the show <laughs> by putting the face of a comedian. Nobody knows or has ever heard of, uh, on the door and sometimes above the urinals, <laughs> definitely above the urinals. But, and I, it, that even goes further back, which I think I never had to do this, but I would hear comics, especially in the eighties and nineties were like, yeah, I had to mail out this tape, a physical tape to yeah. a club. And I just, I can't imagine now it's a, it would be a YouTube link, but before it's like getting having, you know, 30 VHS tapes of your eight minute set, and mailing it for the guy not to watch it or maybe to watch it 
and not and half-heartedly i can't imagine all the internet has made it so much easier to get booked dude so much easier when i was um uh graduating from high school uh the, like the year i graduated right before that summer i sent out email was sort of a thing but not very many people had it and cold calling wasn't something i was comfortable doing because i still sort of sounded like a kid but i mean mm -hmm. it could have been a man but you know you never know so i sent a hand like a typed out letter with mm -hmm. a promotional picture called the tour laugh the laugh it up tour and pretended to be my <laughs> agent uh, saying you got to book this hot young this this young uh, new comedian uh, you know fresh on the scene doing a big tour this summer and I sent out two two hundred of them to uh, bars like any kind of bar venue whatever two hundred or maybe a hundred of them yeah I think it was maybe a hundred of them all over Ontario like every small town had a bar and every big town had a bunch of them and stuff and i booked 11 of them and that was my first uh my first tour how did that go did, were people like you this is your first tour we could tell <laughs> uh, there was there was 11 of them i'm gonna say out of 11 five were like that where it was like this was your first we can tell and <laughs> this will be your last time here yeah um for the other six of them, it they ranged from one of them was a, an unbelievable like experience that kept me going. Mm -hmm. I, I think if if that hadn't happened, I might have questioned things at the mm -hmm. end of that. But there was one that was exceptionally good. And the rest were like, good try and <laughs> good for you for being so young and doing this and trying mm -hmm. this. Because it was a lot of older, <clears throat> a lot of older audiences especially mm -hmm. in the smaller towns. Yeah. It's that we, it, and I don't know if you have them in Canada, I, so like a VFW or a moose lodge or an elks lodge, or do you do a show there. Yeah. Legions where it's Legions, like, yeah, it's, that's the, and it's not like I'm saying, it sounds weird. It's not like the old people hang out because those people went there when they were young, but that's been their hangout for a while. And it's, I've done so many shows where you're just like, I don't even know how to connect with these people. Like I just better swear a lot, but then also sometimes you're like, don't swear. We don't like that. But then afterwards you're like, man, that was so fucking funny. And you're like, Oh, okay. Just the one guy that booked it. Didn't want to get in trouble or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's tough on the, on the road too, because each gig like has comes with their own set of specific instructions mm -hmm. or or no instructions at all where they're just mm -hmm. like, go ahead. The worst ones are where they're like, go ahead, say whatever you want. You say something somebody doesn't like. And at the end, they're like, why the fuck would you say that? <laughs> because you said so. Yeah. I remember one time I did this gig and I walked in and of course this guy just starts. I, the show is an hour before the show. And he was like, uh, you guys going to be funny tonight? One of those. And I'm like, oh, yeah. uh, we'll see. And he's like, my name's whatever. Uh, I like to, I like to uh, have fun during the show. And then you talk to the bartender and you're like, yeah, that's Ricky. He, uh, he talks to the comics and you're like, okay, good. So this is just a regular thing. 
that Ricky does, but they're not going to kick him out because he's drinking $80 that night or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's always like their number one customer is the mm-hmm. one guy that's the worst for the show, but the best for their business. Yeah. Yeah. Just if you drink a lot, you can do whatever during a comedy show. They're not going to kick you out. So you mentioned your first gig was obviously doing five minutes. What was, what was the, uh, the first time that you got on the road as like an opening act where you got to travel, do a little bit more time. How was that experience? Yeah. It was one of those where then you realize you work, you work so hard, you know, if, if people listening it usually the show goes opener MC uh, or then the feature comic and then the headliner comic, and then what, once you're kind of at the feature level, then you can kind of go on the road and you learn quickly that a lot of these places where you're featuring, you're also the host because they don't have a, a, a host or the right. local radio guy goes up. But all he's all he's doing is, hey, thanks for listening to whatever. Here's your first comic. So the, they're not warmed up. So you learn quickly how to be your host and MC and the feature comic. Just you learn to take that that bullet that's, you know, 10 minutes long of getting chuckles versus, you know, warmed up audience. And I remember again, the first time you do, you do a spot, you're probably the worst you're going to be at it. So if you're like, this is my first feature week, you're like, Oh, you're not good at this spot. Um, You learn quickly to again, develop a thick skin. And, you know, if you get heckled, cause I've had a couple times where, People, you not even like malic- malicious, but they just will groan, and you're like, "That's a smart right. joke." But then there, that groan is infectious, and people start to believe the show is not good. But yeah. it, in your mind, it's like, "I know this stuff is good, but I just have to trick you into thinking it's good." <laughs> and it's, it's, I don't know. You get used to being on the road. I like the, I like being on the road, and I don't. I, if I can bring somebody with me, that's cool. But I, I also like being alone. I don't know if you're the same way. Yeah, you know, I, I actually that was one of my favorite things about it. it off the bat, was be, when I was opening. Typically, I, I wasn't traveling with whoever was headlining. I was meeting them at the. I mean, I was usually doing a string of one nighters. So Mm -hmm. I would sometimes it was four different people in a week, or sometimes you work with a guy on Wednesday and somebody at a club Thursday to Saturday. But one of my favorite things was that time alone in the car driving, you know, being able to think, especially if I had a fucking disaster the night before to, to wrap my head around, uh, first of all, not quitting or, Mm -hmm you know, driving off the road or, you know, something that like just kind of talking myself through it. And I, yeah, that was something I really, um, I had heard a lot of comedians, like famous comedians talk about the road and how tough it is being alone and stuff like that. But that was one thing that I was really nervous about, but immediately was like, I actually really enjoy this. Dude. I love being alone. And you know, there's a difference between lonely and being alone. You could be lonely in a crowded room, but yeah. alone, I love the time to think. Um, and yeah, it's one of those where you play back if something bad happened. It's like watching film when you're a, a football player or whatever sport you're like, what happened? You just replay that in your head and hopefully it doesn't, uh, you don't drift off the road. Like you said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, the, I remember, um, the first time, it's it's a little bit different. The Canadian comedy industry and the American road comedy industry, especially back 
not necessarily right now, obviously, but uh, years ago, and especially when I was like early twenties and getting out on the road, um, it was, I loved doing the American shows a lot more because there was way more opportunity for those one nighters in a really small town, somewhere in the middle of nowhere with those locals that just, um, they're either going to love you or hate you, but it's going to be a unanimous decision because they mm-hmm. all, you know, talked about it beforehand or, you know, they've been here every week or whatever. Um, but I always really enjoyed uh, the the one nighters in, in America because you could string them together as well. So you mm-hmm. felt like you were really on tour. And I remember the first time I had to drive through North Dakota and I'm sitting there in the car, like everything's fine and whatever. And then all of a sudden I get to a spot where it's, I realized like I'm in a, I'm in a snowbank. It's on either side of me on both sides of the highway and the ground. I can't see the ground anymore. <clears throat> and I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I'm from Canada and I had never really seen <laughs> this, this uh, crazy, you know, amount of snow on a highway and all, you know, all that shit. Have you ever had any uh, crazy, like driving uh, experiences, any, any crashes hit a, an animal of any sort? Uh, yeah, I've hit a deer. That was a, that was, uh, th- you know, ho- I got something out of it. I got a bit out of it at least, <laughs> you know, like I got yeah. uh, this car's ruined, but I'm going to get something out of it. It's I've always had a, deer a great before. trade with a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. That, and it's so weird. And it's, I'm not going to say PTSD cause that seemed a little extreme, but now on the, on the road driving at night, you're like little paranoid. Cause uh, you know, again, I think I could survive hitting a deer cause I did at 75, but you never know stuff. Something could go through the windshield, but it's always, you're looking to the sides of the road just to see, cause I've driven and you just see the deer standing at the side of the road. Like they're about to hitchhike. Right. Like, so now I'm, I'm just paranoid about that. But then I, years ago, I had one where I'm driving from, I think I was driving from Chicago to Wisconsin and of course it was December, January or February. Um, and I'm doing this lodge is a casino lodge show. And, you know, the last two hours, it took me three hours to drive the two hours. And it was one of those where you're just so tense because you can't take one hand off the steering wheel because you, you just never know what's going to happen and yeah. driving for that long. And by the time you get to the thing, you're exhausted because your body has been so tense the whole time and i get to the casino gig and and the whole time i'm like there's no way that we're doing the show but i'm going to show up so i can at least get paid for it and you show up and they're like yep we're doing the show but by the way the weather's so bad we already shut down the the gambling tables and the buffet so everything <laughs> is shut down um and if we eventually we do the show and it's me and the the feature comic and it's one of those where like there's a dance floor, tables, and then the stage. So you you're separated by like 50 feet. Oh no! And Which is a, first... for anybody who doesn't do comedy, an absolute nightmare. Yeah, the ideal comedy is you want to like be able to touch the ceiling of the place that you're at, and then the first table from yeah. the stage. That's what I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's just this giant space. You can kind of hear the slot machines, and the show ended up being fine because people trickled in. But it was, again, people weren't there for the show. They were just there because that was the only open bar in the place. So you're just like, I got you. You do your time and get through it. But it was like the closest to the shining I've ever been in because it's like no. And I literally had gotten stuck in the parking lot in my car. So they they had a guy going around in the parking lot, getting people out unstuck 
So that's what was how I spent my morning was getting unstuck. Um, but it was, yeah, it was one of those where I was like, man, this was a lot of work for a downer of a show, but it is what it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. Um, the other part of being on the road is, uh, the hotel situation Mm -hmm. or sometimes lack of, or motel, you know, in often cases, any, um, any of those, uh, motel or hotel horror stories come to mind? Thankfully not. Unless uh, they're like the money, the money's so good on the gig that I'll be like, I'll get my own hotel. And then I'm the kind of guy like I'll do like the red roof in, and that's, and you know, I've stayed in some decent red roof and I'm not saying anything about the chain, but I'm like any kind, anytime you're driving up to your door, that's never good. Right. And so some of that is self-imposed where I'm like, I'm trying to save as much money as I can. Um, I mostly I've had like bad condos, you know, and, and oh, for yeah. people listening condo, it's just like a, it could be a house that they, the club bought and now they're letting the comics stay at or an apartment or whatever. And the, the quintessential comedy condo to me would be like, you walk in and it's a big tube TV, not a flat screen, but a tube TV. And that flat screens have been out long enough to where you could find an old flat screen. <laughs> but it's it'll be a tube TV sitting on one of the tables that the club has in the showroom. Like yep. they're like, we need a table. And then all the, you know, the chairs or whatever. And the thing is, I, as long as it's clean and the internet works, I don't care. I'm super low maintenance when it comes to that stuff. But when you walk in and the, like the TV says, Oh, the, uh, there's something wrong with the internet. And then the, the owner's like, <laughs> yeah, that there it's been broken for weeks. It's like, no, you haven't paid the bill in weeks. I know how this works. You know, so that kind of stuff, or you get to the hotel room and you're like, you just want to sleep on top of the bed. You don't want to pull the covers back. One of those where you're like, you just don't want to touch anything. You feel gross afterwards. But thankfully those, those haven't been a lot. I remember, uh, I don't know if you've done this one, but there's a gig in Minog, South Dakota, maybe. Um, It's wherever Jack Link's beef jerky is like, that's their factory. Um, (laughs) And that was one within the past couple of years where they give you a real key to the hotel. And so it's like a physical key, Um, which that's a throwback. And the hotel was fine. It was, but it was just like one of those where I've been on the road so long, but it's always a card, but they're like, Nope, it's a key. And the show was great. It was in an old funeral home that they turned into a community center. (laughs) So like you're literally standing clearly where the casket would be. That's the stage. And they have like those accordion dividers that, you know, uh, divide the room and they give you like the community center is owned by Jack links. So like they give you this beef jerky basket or whatever. So everything about the show was great, but it's just so weird to get the real key to do it in a funeral home. And there's no, you know, it's a funeral home, you know? Um, and those are the kind of shows that I love. Cause it's like, you can go to a club and it, the shows are great, but you don't get those stories of the people that you meet there. Yeah, absolutely. Those dude, those small town road gigs they are they are, and forever will be my, my absolute favorite. The, the, even just the people, like some of the characters that live, what's always been fascinating to me is, you go to these places and sometimes we're only there for one night or Mm -hmm. even just a couple hours. Like sometimes you're in and out and you meet a character that you have an exchange with for like maybe an hour. 
And I always think about them the next day and be like, but that's his life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That yeah. that guy isn't playing. He wasn't playing. I describe him as a character, but that's just how he is. And he's that way now mm-hmm. at home with his wife and children, the same way he wasn't, you know, performing this, this, you know, piece <laughs> as an artist for me. <laughs> yeah. That's just how he is. You know, I, it's, I it's love weird that when you meet those, and, and I'll, I'll say small town people and I'm not being shitty about it, but I'm saying you've met those people where clearly they have never left their town that doesn't even have a stoplight. And there's right. nothing wrong with that. But it's in my head, I'm like, man, don't you want to go somewhere and see some other stuff? So thankfully, that part of me has you know been filled by comedy. But you just met people and you're like, they've never left the town that, you know, they could tell you everything about the town and the big trip that they do is to the Walmart at the bigger town farther away. And again, nothing wrong with those people, but it's just, that's just bizarre behavior to me. Cause I'm such, I'm not that person. Have you ever had, um, you know, obviously every comedian deals with hecklers in some way, but have you ever had one that was just stands out above the rest as, as exceptionally brutal? Uh, usually like uh, if I go into a show and I know that the, it's going to be the perfect setup for hecklers is I just don't stop talking and I'm loud. Like I, I did a show at a prison before and I got heckled by those guys, but none of it was like malicious. Thankfully I've never had like a lot of like, you suck. They probably were thinking it, but I've never had that kind of heckle, but I've had like, the prisoners would be like, I, I guess I hit a joke that struck a chord. Cause they were like, man, you stupid. And it was, you know, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, good. I got, I got a, you know, a, you stupid from the prisoners. And like the, the guy, one of the guys up front had an eye patch and literally they called them lucky. And you're just like, come on, man. Like, that's just too funny. And some of the guys clearly had just gotten off whatever work thing they were doing that day and still had their orange vests on, but no shirt. Like there was no like <laughs> dress policy or whatever. Um, but again, that, that could have gone another way and just been really bad, but thankfully it ended up being good. But as far as like people being sh- shitty and heckling, like I, thankfully I've just not had that happen very often. And if I did, it was just, I've never been the guy that'll like slam a heckler. Cause I'm not that quick anyway. So usually it's just like me handling it or just ignoring it till the show was over. <laughs> what was, um, what was the last regular like day job you had before, uh, before going full-time with standup? Uh, I worked at a hospital in the kitchen. I would work. Like in, so you'd have like the literal assembly line. So you start with the tray and you would like, you'd have this highlighter and it was like a receipt. So you'd highlight like the first guy, he'd uh, get all the salt and pepper and condiments and uh, silverware. And so you would highlight all that stuff. Then you'd pass it down the conveyor belt and you'd have a guy that, that your job was just called beverage. So you put all the drinks on the tray and on the other side of the line was like the cooks that put the, you know, the hamburgers or whatever you're serving on that day. So that was like the last real gig. I had, I had driven for Uber a little bit, which I liked that job, 
I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it's meeting different people. I had substitute taught a little bit, but the last thing where it was like, I, you know, had scheduled hours to be there was that hospital gig. What, uh, what, what kind of teacher were you? Uh, I don't know. It was like, I was in that comic mode where somebody would, a kid would say something shitty and I would want to like, slam them and treat right. them like a heckler but i'm but i'm also like man you can't say that to a kid like right you know i want to come back and, and and teach so i would mostly try to get uh like i would teach like computer or pe or art one of those one-off things where you had them for an hour because i think right. you can at least keep kids respect for an hour and then you get a new group because i've done the all day thing and by the end of it like yeah, I'm a guy. They'll just walk all over me. And I, I'd had other teachers come in and be like, well, you guys keep it down. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. They're like, no, you're, you're totally fine. They, you could just tell that like, Oh, they know these kids are assholes. Right. And, uh, <laughs> so yeah, th those were fun. And I, I like doing that thing too. I was thankfully not had a lot of jobs that I've hated. It was weird going in at the hospital. Cause I would have to be there at six 30 in the morning. And I remember, doing shows literally where I would be at like this theater at a college, you know, opening for somebody having a great set. And then, okay, I got to drive back and sleep for four, for like for four hours. And then now I'm putting drinks on trays and I'm like, if, if you could just, uh, if that's that Superman thing where I was like, if you could just see my superpower where I was really funny over here, but nobody gives a shit now. Cause I, they need the cranberry juice. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man yeah uh, dude i i know that pain i know that mm -hmm. pain so well there was a brief uh time there for um i don't even know how many years but i had a really <laughs> vicious cycle where every june i would have to gain employment mm -hmm. because i knew summers were dead yeah. typically on the road or or not enough so from June till the end of August, I knew I had to get something and I was really good at interviewing. Mm -hmm. I could really convince someone I wanted this job, you know? <laughs> and, but I also knew that at, come September, my road schedule is going to pick back up. And mm -hmm. so uh, I had quite the cycle of like gaining, gaining jobs from, mm -hmm. you know, June and then either being fired in August because I started calling in sick more, uh, because I started booking all the fall shows uh, or just where it was like, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta quit. And there was no two weeks notice. It was like, I have yeah. to go now. I'm sorry, but yeah, I have a thing that starts in 40 minutes. I'm leaving. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of jobs yeah. would you get th that you would like, you know, did you interview for a lot and get one or were you like a certain type of job that you would try to get? So for a time I was, um, looking for like a, a driver position mm -hmm. because I just wanted to be by myself and not, I, I didn't know talking to people. Yeah. I, I, cause I couldn't have a bot that my new, Jeez, I've probably known since I was like 12 years old that I can't, I can't have a boss. So mm -hmm. I, I knew that like, if I'm going to have to have a job, it's going to have to be, uh, you know, by myself driving around all day or whatever. So I've done a lot of like delivery driver, um, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. And then sales, I've gotten a few sales jobs. Uh, one in particular, that was like a pretty 
like I could have made, I could have done really well there if I gave a shit and mm-hmm. it, I didn't realize it at the time. Cause I would get like retail sales jobs and, you know, seasonal shit and stuff like that. But that was like a bigger, you know, a bigger thing where I, where I was like, Oh shit. Like I have my own, not office, but like my own space and my own computer and like, mm-hmm. Oh fuck, this company's like entrusting me to, you know, enhance their sales. And I'm just thinking about September, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and the, or you're like, if they bump me up now, I'm stuck here forever. If I get the yeah. next position up. So the, I did that too, where they're like, you want to be manager? Cause I worked at Arby's too. And they were like, do you want to be a manager? I'm like, no, man. Cause I, I just knew if I did that, I was going to be there for a lot longer than I wanted to be. Yeah. I, that was one thing I was always really nervous about, but very luckily I was such a bad employee that that was never, (laughs) I was never offered any promotions or there was none of that. It was, it was you, you, we can tell that you do not care and uh, you bring nothing, uh, no value to this position. I remember dude, I delivered coffee. That was one of my jobs, like not cups of coffee, but I mean like, um, I would fill coffee or whatever. Yeah. And fill coffee machines for office buildings. Right. Okay. So I brought like new coffee that they could have if, if the machine ever went out and they had to dump beans in, if I wasn't there or whatever. And, you know, you would go back and I remember the guy training me is you would work by yourself. And that's what I liked about it was I just, I loaded my coffee and then I'm in the truck for the day. So it's all Mm -hmm. good. And the guy training me, he goes, Okay, you're gonna have to clean the machines, right? And he goes, Don't worry, you don't have to do it often. You have to do it once every like, I don't know, four months or three months. And and at the time I'm like, okay, July, August, <laughs> I don't need to know any of this shit. Yeah. yeah. And he so he's like going, he's like showing me how to clean the thing, right? And I'm, you know, nodding my head. And then he's like, Now, if you really want to go the extra mile. And you no, really I don't. want to stop no. there. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not yeah. even going the first mile to begin yeah. with. I'm going to be leaving before that mile comes to me. So there's no way I'm going an extra mile on top of that when I no, didn't sir. Even start. Yeah. And I, I just remember him getting out this fucking little tiny like thing that looks like an um, someone working on fossils would use to like clear. Oh, it off. yeah. And he got so precise with it, dude. And you could tell his passion level. And I, I wanted to come clean with him and just be like, dude, like you're wasting so much of your time right now. I don't give mm-hmm. a fuck at all about any of this. I'll never use that thing ever. Yeah. Certainly not for this. I might brush some weed off of the van, like, you know, <laughs> cause I don't want you guys to know I smoked in here, but <laughs> you know, that's about it. So yeah, man, I've, I was a terrible employee. So I was never in danger of anybody wanting to, uh, <laughs> move me up that was that yeah. was never any any issue and my i i guess till i wasn't i was always a good employee to at the, there at the end you would get some call-ins because i would get offered gigs and it was just like i'd probably be losing money on it uh, you know do taking the gig versus going to work and then eventually i got a, a uh like a writing job for a radio show and i just was like that's more money for less work and i'm like taking my brain to the gym to write, you know? So I was like, yeah, I'm, and I had like a comedy festival and I was like, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. That thing is in two weeks when I'm supposed to work next and I'm just not coming. So I'd rather, you know, so you, so you could just get somebody and I'm sure you appreciate that too. (laughs) 
Um, you mentioned the writing on the show. Is that Bob and Tom? Yeah, I still work for them. So if people don't know, it's a nationally syndicated radio show, and at least in the in the U.S. So uh, just before I hopped on with you, I was finishing writing. So it's still like a good. I don't know. It just really helped me, I think, in my writing. Just sometimes you don't want to write, but it's like right. you got to. So you learn how to like, I don't know. Some and like I told my wife last night, it took me forever to write. I was like, I'm just not funny tonight. <laughs> you know, it's like some days it clicks and sometimes it doesn't. Oh, dude, absolutely. And and I just want to go back to the Bob and Tom show, like <coughs> a legendary show i mean been around for for over 30 years yeah and, and especially and, they're based in indy so it's if you're if you do comedy in indy people that's the first thing people say is hell have you been on bob and tom that right. kind of thing you know yeah and a huge credit like especially in the in the midwest like i remember years and years ago probably my mid-20s um i got a opportunity to be on their show because i was doing a show in like mason city illinois the mason city limits which is hey. uh one of my favorite towns and clubs ever i love um, it you can hear this the toilet flush upstairs during the show if you oh. which I, I i've only been to that club once but i like the guy chris and i like that venue so much yeah so it, it's it, everything about it is awesome and the town is amazing and i it was one of my first like headlining runs through uh, the U S and I, I was able to just like utilize that to get on the show and the show to, it was like both of them worked together mm -hmm. and I was, man, you know, it was, it was really an honor to be on that. And I felt, it felt to me like a break, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. a not like the tonight show, but like that type of thing where it was like, this mm -hmm. is, this is an elevating level. And I always, uh, really appreciated being on there, but I have, one of the things about being on there is I had no idea they're so fast. It works so quickly that I remember feeling like all of my powers had been stripped away. And I was, <laughs> I felt I I've been on twice now and both times mm -hmm. I felt more like a, like a person who got a free ticket to watch the show mm -hmm. in the studio. Cause I had no idea when to jump in. It was just so fast. They're that good. And it's one of those, again, where you go back to, let me show you my Superman power over here. And yeah. this thing, like, because at, on an even day, there's four minimum of four people on the show, sometimes more. And their, uh, their rapport is so good of 30 years of knowing somebody. So you can say something without saying it. You right. know what I'm saying? So and it, you, the last thing you want to do is like step on, for, especially for me, who's employed by the show. I, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And then there goes my spot on the show and uh, my extra gig on the side, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, man. And, and it's so like I remember just sitting there, especially the last time I was on, which was like 2019. And I was doing uh, I think I was on there for the Mark Ridley's like I was promoting a weekend there mm -hmm. and I just remember being like, okay, this time I want to, I want to jump in. I want to, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm a, in my thirties now. I'm, you know, I feel more comfortable. I know who I am as a person and a comedian a lot more. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not this guy who like when I was on the show the first time, I almost felt like a fraud. Like I, I snuck my way in the back door to headline <laughs> a club. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know, I felt good. And then this time 
I'm I'm a minute or two in. I'm just like, boom, boom, just watching. And then eventually I'm, I'm just like sitting back just, you know, one one side to the other in complete awe. And mm-hmm. I don't know. They asked me one question. I think I said maybe two words or something like I I was just watching the show. It was almost like watching <laughs> TV and every one of the characters turns to you and asks you a question. You're like, holy fuck, are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm part of the cast now all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it's it's such a uh, a rapport that those those guys have and and so quick like mm-hmm. you know, I dealing with hecklers and being on stage, you know, as you know, we we develop that that quickness and you got to be quick to survive mm-hmm. sometimes, but in there it's like a whole other level. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's definitely, it's one of those where they're so they're kind and friendly, but you, but then they're so good that it's, you have no other choice, but then to realize that is their domain, you know? Right. Oh, you're very, yeah. It's, it's remarkable. And I, I felt honored because like it is a legendary show. I just felt honored to be like in that seat and just, you know, watching them work. It was, it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's you're you're tired after being on the show because you feel like you it's like that drive through the snow. You feel like you have to be on the whole time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I also felt like I was off the whole time <laughs> and somebody was holding the button for on because I didn't have to be. It was yeah. like <laughs> you can just sit and chill for this whole thing. And then at the end, they said my name twice. And that was, <laughs> was that's it. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. They welcome. Thank you. Boom, 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 boom. All right. Get out of here. Yeah. It was, it was great, man. I love that show. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you doing this and taking the time and congratulations on uh, all the success and, and uh, everything with the videos, the podcasts. Uh, and, and uh, I hope to do a show with you again soon, a live show at some point and, and be able to work together with a, an actual audience. Yeah. What live people that'll be strange. Yeah, it it will be. It will be very strange. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much, man. And uh, I, I really appreciate you being here and taking the time. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Huge, huge thank you to Brent Terhune for being here today. Make sure you follow him on all social media. Check out his Facebook and YouTube videos. They are absolutely hilarious. And check out both of his podcasts as well. They are fantastic. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If, uh, If you want to, if it's not too much trouble, it'd be great if you'd go over to our YouTube channel, The Jeff Leeson Show. Uh, click subscribe, click that notification bell as well so you know anytime that we upload a brand new video uh, so that you can check it out. That way you know when it's happening, you know it's happening now, and you can go check it out immediately. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Thanks for everything. Thank you. If you've listened every week, I really, truly appreciate it more than you will ever know unless we meet in person and have a few minutes, and then I'll explain it all to you. But thank you, guys. I hope you have a great night. I seriously do, depending on when you're listening to it. Maybe it is night. Then I hope you have a great day. And if it's day, I hope you have a great night. If it's the afternoon, I hope both your morning and evening are great as well as your afternoon. You know what I mean. I just hope you're having a great fucking time. Thank you, guys. Have a great whatever. And see ya. Guns. Guns? I'm doing guns. If you're listening, I'm doing double finger guns. And it looks ridiculous. And I regret doing it. See you next week, everybody.